Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. If you want to be a legend, all you got to do is hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by the Black Company Wiki. Be nasty to ESL folks who inadvertently use violent language. Now you're stuck with Memo Cannon, Report Crusher, and Document Hunter. I've been sitting on this for some time because I'm still not sure if it precisely qualifies as malicious compliance, and also it's specific enough to conceivably be traced to me. But I'm sufficiently distanced from these folks now, so here goes. I was a freelancer for a media company that maintains a database for their videos, photo galleries, other digital property, as well as a separate bit for contracts and the like. One of the clients who struck a deal with them to utilize their IP was represented by a woman with serious bullying issues. Let's call her Boomer. She was a Luddite and rarely seemed to understand anything that was being said on the conference calls. So, I suppose to feel important, she acted like the grammar police and would interrupt her own boss's business partners and stakeholders in mid-speech if they said something slightly different than how she wanted to hear it. Sometimes she did this multiple times in a single call. The worst was when she abruptly corrected ESL folks, like the group from India, or the project manager from Germany, or the account rep from Hong Kong. Really, any stakeholders from any non-Anglophone country who were still learning English. But on top of the grammar policing, she had a special fixation on correcting violent words and phrases. Examples to follow. Now, this is something I would support to a degree as I try to avoid that language myself when I have the presence of mind to do so. There have been fair-minded movements for years now, all basically calling for a reduction in this type of language. But Boomer never conducted herself in a way that was respectful of anyone about this. So for me, it's not about the nobility of someone's cause, it's about how you treat people. When somebody casually said, shoot me a note, very common to hear, Boomer would interject, wait, why did you just say that? You could hear a pin drop. The proverbial tumbleweed would roll through. It's hard to convey the total rudeness in a Reddit post, but this is tangible stuff. She would pontificate briefly on why such phrases were unacceptable, and it's a shame we've not moved beyond this language. And then suddenly it was crickets again, like we're supposed to go back to the topic at hand. Like she didn't just treat someone like scum for saying a very common phrase. It's such a disruption and she never apologized a single time. The first few times this happened, people were stunned. People from all countries of origin and all age groups, the other boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the younger folks. This also extended to hunting-related words, the phrase shooting fish in a barrel, and harmless phrases like deer and headlights. When anyone said this stuff, she acted like she was being given carte blanche to be an entitled bully with anger issues for 45 seconds. Even the group I worked for, who got regular royalty checks from her boss, hated this. 
When she wasn't pulling these stunts, she was silent except for terse, distracted, soulless replies, and only when absolutely necessary. So, to understate it politely, she earned only negative feelings from everyone. This came to a head. It turned out that the company was helping with a lot of her syndication and sub-licensing docs and even cloud management free of charge. They did not have to do so and it was not in the contract. This had been unofficially grandfathered for her by one of the senior sponsors and only because Boomer was a Luddite. The operations guy who did some of the grunt work for her finally got insulted by one of Boomer's direct callouts. He said something like, we need a dev who can hunt down the root cause. And she snapped as usual. So he categorically refused to do the work, meaning she would need to pay extra or get database access and do it herself like all the other clients. I saw a fun opportunity here and seized it. I volunteered to handle it for her myself until I could set her up with the necessary access, at which point she ultimately would use the same screens I use. She readily agreed, and this is where I think malicious compliance comes in. We made a customized interface for me to use and then gave her access to it. They were technically the same screens I use. There was a Brazilian IT guy who hated her more than anyone and a girl in the creative department who commiserated with our cause. I sold them on my little plan and in one evening we made it happen. There was a duplicate web GUI that had been created for testing or something but was now disused. We decided to grant her access to this GUI, not the production standard one, But with key verbiage and icons of violent language, we knew she'd hate perforating the entire thing. The quick access bar that follows when she scrolls had these six beauties. Report Crusher. This was the reporting system she would be using two dozen times per week. The icon was a vice with a paper getting smashed inside it. If you looked closely enough, the paper had the tiniest frown. Document Hunter. Instead of just search, The icon was a bullseye getting hit with an arrow. Shoot us a note instead of just contact us. The icon was a speeding bullet with an innocuous chubby cheek smile and baby-like expression. Memo Cannon. This was my favorite little contribution to the whole thing. It was always just a broken link. It never did anything except take you to a unique 404 message page with a teensy little line art drawing of a deer with antlers, his tongue sticking out, slack-jawed with X's over his eyes. I just thought memo cannon was the funniest phrase I'd come up with, and we knew it would stare at her in the middle of her screen for the next few years. The icon was a squat little cannon with a sparking fuse. Troubleshooting, instead of just help, but the two O's were crosshairs. Wiki change patrol, This was worthless since it just linked to a recent changes page or a wiki full of deprecated docs that nobody consulted. But the icon was a gendarme looking guy smacking a huge baton into his palm. It also featured these gems. The cancel button for the reporting system said kill task instead of just cancel. We had a file deduping routine. We changed the text for that button to say got time to kill. She didn't have permissions to access this actual function but she would be seeing the button each time she opened any document in the web viewer. There were a handful of spots where the IT guy put a splash of camouflage coloration. In the standard environment, they were all just dead spaces. He thought, I believe correctly, that camouflage would get her blood to boil. Before we granted her access to this wonderful Frankenstein, I permanently switched to the same environment in GUI so that I could honestly say, yes, these are the same screens I use which is what she agreed to. 
I hashed together a walkthrough in PDF that even a zombie could learn from, using screen captures from the new interface, passed it along, and that was that. The fallout's a bit anticlimactic because I never got any calls from Boomer directly with feedback that I could savor myself. This is because she lured some gullible student to do the grunt work for her in an unpaid gig. So where I thought I'd be cherishing the apoplectic response firsthand, I actually wound up liaising with a disinterested teenager. But eventually it did filter back to me secondhand that when Boomer finally saw the screen, she was really livid. She called the account manager and demanded changes. The account manager and anyone else we knew was liable to get a call from her, had been prepped beforehand for this eventuality, and had access to screen captures which backed up the idea that what she was seeing was the normal interface. Absolutely no changes whatsoever were made. Do you guys feel like in a business environment that censoring these violent words is a good thing? Or do you feel it's more of like an overstepping censorship thing? Do you guys think it's useful or is it just totally unnecessary? Shoot a comment down below and let me know. And our final story of the day is by Tachi Queen. Dense supervisors inadvertently force me to do less work for the same pay. A saga continues. I'm back with another tale of that incredibly inept supervision team, myself as union president, and a bizarre series of events which result me in being unable to fit more than four hours of actual work in my eight-hour shift, all because I did exactly what the supervision told me to. This one takes a bit of backstory to understand how it all came about. So, when I left off my tale, I was working at an absolutely filthy factory in the campus in which I was contracted. I worked there for a number of years, but then began to develop issues with my lungs. As filthy as the job was, I actually liked that position, but I decided to bid on a different position at a much less risky facility. Part of this move was that I began to float between buildings as needed, which was incredibly convenient for my union work. The only negative is that for whatever reason, employees at that building had a different shift negotiated into the contract, meaning I had to be clocking in at 6am every morning. I am not a morning person, so this was almost a deal breaker, but I reasoned I'd have more flexibility in my university schedule if I switched, so I went for it. I scheduled my classes according to the schedule change and worked there for a bit over a year with no issues. The only small complication is that I was one of two people who staffed this building from my department, and the other lady had suffered a serious medical event and was off on leave indefinitely, leaving me alone most of the time. That was fine, I was able to keep up well enough, at first. I was really into fitness at the time and had been going to the gym every day after work in class, so generally I had no issue with the physical labor at the previous building and no issue running back and forth between buildings at this new site. I also had to drive between locations to assist with other tasks, but that wasn't an issue either, until I suddenly began to get dizzy spells that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I was alone on site, so I couldn't slow down, so I just powered through. The first time I fainted, I actually didn't know for sure that I'd fainted. I actually assumed I'd tripped and ate crap on the cement so quickly I just couldn't process it. The second time, there was a witness, and it became a whole deal. Ambulance called in the works. I couldn't explain what had happened, so I had to go out on short-term disability until I got clearance from cardiology to return from work. Yes, it was just run-of-the-mill POTS, but I wasn't allowed to return without clearance per the contract. I wound up being out for about six months, and I wasn't happy about it. 
So when I was finally clear to return, I was informed that they had given my job to someone else, and I was starting at a different facility I definitely didn't want to be at and at a different shift. This was a problem for multiple reasons. Firstly, I'd scheduled my classes based off of the job I'd been hired for, not whatever shift they decided to give me when I returned. Secondly, they couldn't give away the job of someone out on short-term disability without the consent of the person on disability, and I had definitely not consented to this change. Thirdly, they definitely couldn't change my shift without my consent. This was especially well protected in the contract. Unfortunately, the girl who had taken my job was a new hire, but had bid for my position through the appropriate process, and had done so to be on a shift that allowed her to not have disruption in her childcare. Switching shifts to the job they'd unceremoniously shifted me to would mean she wouldn't have anyone to take care of her child after preschool. I felt for her and decided I would grieve the matter and make sure we both walked away from the situation with what we wanted. After a lengthy negotiation, a lot of swearing and threats, mostly from me to the supervision about what would happen if they pulled this crap ever again, I negotiated that I would permit the girl to keep the job I'd been in previously, but only if they met my demands at the new facility. Firstly, I was going from a generalized labor position to being an office cleaner. I told them no, I wouldn't do that as it was a downgrade of my role. They would have to find me a position in my role and I would not be engaging in the role of the cleaners. If they needed to hire more cleaners, then that was their problem. Secondly, I insisted that I would not change my shift. It was non-negotiable. I didn't care if I was the only person out of 50 starting at 6am, it wasn't going to change. Thirdly, I caught wind that they'd moved the girl to my role, despite her not being paid for the labor role. They paid her just over minimum wage as a cleaner to do labor duties. I insisted they give her every penny of back pay she was due for the work she'd been doing, but this time at the proper rate. In the end, supervision had no way to argue it, and while I wasn't happy, it was a small victory. Then I had another fight. The facility insisted on having set break times honored. I didn't have a way to argue this as break times were mentioned in the contract, but we didn't have specific language allowing for flexibility. The first time I encountered this was my first day, as this was the only facility that also had a mandatory beginning of shift meeting. I arrived at work, clocked in at 6am, and by the time I had my lunch in the fridge and my lights turned on and machines unplugged for the day, it was around 6.25am, and I had to walk close to a mile through a building, I could slightly shorten this if I cut through an alley, to the main offices for the 7am shift meeting. Initially, I thought that seemed absurd and I'd asked for permission to not attend, as the walk alone ended up being close to 40 minutes round trip, not including however long the meeting ran, I was told I absolutely could not miss this meeting, and she was really smug about it too. I asked her if she remembered my hours, but she rolled her eyes at me. I mean, okay, if you insist, I did try to warn you. So, as instructed, I was forced to attend this understated meeting, and honor my strictly scheduled break times. My day ended up looking like this. 6am arrival and lights turned on. Equipment unplugged, 6.25am. Walk between buildings for shift meeting, 7am. Shift meeting, 7.20 to 7.30am. Return to work location, 8am. Break. So the entire first two hours of my shift, I wasn't able to get any work done. Nothing. After my break, I still had to prep all equipment, check equipment for safety, replace any parts needed, often very time consuming check and organize my work orders, and then I was on lunch at 10am. 
So by the time I had my lunch break, all I had time to do from 7.15 to 10 a.m. was get my equipment ready for the day. Things I would have normally done before my first break, but I was told I had to attend that meeting and didn't have time to start a project before I had to take my lunch. My supervisors came over a day or two later, absolutely spitting with rage and ready to write me up. Unfortunately for them, I'd written out the entire schedule. As they told me, my break times were non-negotiable. It was also non-negotiable that I had to attend the shift meeting of building over. I asked if they remembered the explicit instructions they gave me in this regard. For some reason, they looked absolutely thunderstruck. They had inadvertently ordered me to accept a schedule that prevented me from getting more than about four hours of work done. The kicker was that they couldn't take it back without setting a precedent that exceptions could be made at that location. I could see the cogs trying to turn as they tried to figure out if there was a way to punish me, but I had only done exactly what they insisted I do. So yeah, I did as I was told, and they inadvertently gave me a job that prevented me from doing more than a half a day of work but I had to be paid for the full day regardless. It also allowed me a lot more time to work on union paperwork as I wasn't constantly getting in and out of PPE and was able to catch more of their contract violations being closer to the main office. I'd like to think that I made their lives just a little bit more heckish and it was in large part facilitated by their screw-up trying to mess with my work location and hours and failure to notice what they'd done to my schedule by ordering me to hike a country mile for this meeting. I worked in that position for the last few years I was there, and it was a running joke the entire time. I just absolutely feel no remorse for this company because OP had a medical issue, and when they came back, they tried to just totally replace them and hand them a broom and say, go sweep up in the corner, OP. This is your job now. Doesn't work that way. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.